0: episode 91. Welcome and what an episode. If you are currently really confused by the state of the world right now like I am or confused by the responses of your government or wondering if masks seem like a good idea or not or if a rush to market vaccine is a good idea or that this deep intuitive feeling that you have that something isn't right is a voice that you should be listening to then today's episode is for you on this one we have a really great discussion about some of the big topics that are surrounding the current situation and plaguing the news and as well what you as an individual can actually do in your reality to make things better all right let's get into the show what's up my healthy friends welcome to a very interesting episode of the podcast it is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable healthy life that they truly want before december 2020 and based on this conversation today well there's never been a better time to get healthy so reach out find me on social media join my free facebook group the links in the show notes now anyway we're diving straight into this. Today's conversation is going to cover a complex and confusing space of reality that we are currently experiencing, especially in Melbourne, Victoria and Australia as a whole. And as well, for all of our listeners coming in from other parts of the world, no doubt that you are experiencing this in your country too. But certainly right now, from an Australian perspective, we are hardest hit here in Melbourne. So today's guest is a legit person in every possible way with a monstrous career to boot i have with me here today rebecca d costa whom is an american sociobiologist and futurist she is the world's leading expert on the subject of fast adaption and recipient of the prestigious edward o wilson biodiversity technology award Her career spans four decades of working with founders, key executives, and venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. Costa's first book, The Watchman's Rattle, A Radical New Theory of Collapse, was an international bestseller and has been read and publicly praised by some real-world megastars in Tina Brown... Donald Trump, Senator Bill Bradley, and Sir Richard Branson. And there was a second as well. Her follow-on book titled On the Verge was introduced in 2017 to critical acclaim, shooting to the top of Amazon's number one new business releases, which is amazing. Costa's work has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, San Fran Chronicle, The Guardian, and many other leading publications. And so... Here to share some insight on the current global situation is Rebecca D. Costa. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. How are you? I'm fine. Well, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm here in lockdown in Melbourne, lockdown 2.0. That's
1: right. Well, uh, it's to be expected. I think we're going to have a couple of reversals as time goes on.
0: Before we get into that, so the podcast is generally and the listeners are generally sort of health and wellness type mindset and and that's the kind of stuff they're interested in. So just to give people context of what it is you do, how does what you do sort of relate to the biology or mental health or physical health of people on the sort of broader spectrum?
1: Well, uh, a while back I got tagged with a label futurist and I was never comfortable with that label uh, because it sounds like you talk to dead people and you read tarot cards, you know, and you <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I'm, I'm a scientist by training, so I, I don't like anything that even gets near that territory. Um, so, uh, but but what I do is, uh, you know, we're accumulating so much data at a more rapid pace than in any other time in the history of humankind. And I propose that if you know what the first 100 data points are, it's not all that hard to figure out what 101 is going to be. (laughs) If you have billions and trillions and, you know, of data points, it's not hard to predict what the next likely outcome is going to be. And so because of that, people have labeled me a futurist, but I I would rather uh, label myself an expert at predictive analytics.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And interesting time to be an expert in this field because, I guess, a lot of uh, the predictions uh, are are really confusing, to say the least, um, in the media. Mm -hmm. Whether people, whether the argument is that we haven't been in this space before, or whether, you know, it, it. it seems confusing that you know big corporations and organizations that are meant to be leading the charge in this space are continually changing their numbers and their predictions on drastic amounts, like very large amounts and you know numbers of deaths plummet randomly by half, and then we hear of doctors that have been told that they should report numbers that are misleading uh, for financial incentives. So what is the biggest challenge for you in predicting? the next step
1: Well, let me start by saying that all disruptors are have similar characteristics. So people like to treat the coronavirus as some real game changer and they forget that it has similar characteristics as a subprime mortgage meltdown and that has similar characteristics as a nation's currency suddenly uh, you know collapsing overnight. And that has similar characteristics to a sudden and very dangerous uh, uh, terrorist attack on a country. These all have the, these disruptions have similar characteristics. So what's important in leadership is not so much to treat each of these disruptions as one-offs, but to look at the similarities and then understand what can you do in advance, to prepare your, your nation, your company, your organization, and yourself individually to be able to uh, weather the storm, so to speak. And I call this pre There's adaptation, and that's when the environment changes, right? We either adapt or have the things we need for the new environment, or we don't, and we become extinct. Uh, and then there's pre and that is being able to look down the road and see what is likely to be an event and an outcome, and then being able to do something in the present to mitigate or, in some cases, avoid a negative outcome altogether. So I call that pre Now, I understand we're, we're living in a very confusing time. It's a very uncomfortable time because data is changing right and left. But we must understand that one of the common characteristics that any disruption has is that historical data, all that data I was talking to you, those billions of of data points that I was talking to you about, doesn't matter nearly as much as real-time data. So just when we need it the most, we need the data the most, the real-time data we have is very thin, unconfirmable, unreliable and changing by the picosecond. And in that environment, people have to make judgment calls and they're going to make more wrong calls than more right ones. Because my definition of a complex environment is there are more wrong options than there are right ones. And the number of wrong ones are exponentially growing as the real-time data is coming in. So you're going to have a lot of fits and stops and errors and going down cul-de-sacs. You know, we, we saw this with hydroxychloroquine. You know, it was all systems go. And then it turned out to be a bit of a a, a, a cul-de-sac. So we, we backtrack from that. And then we say, well, we got to wipe down all these surfaces constantly. Now we're finding out that really isn't having all that big effect as we thought. Now we're we're finding that masks alone may not be adequate, that the virus may be able to penetrate through the eyes and through the ears and and, and through and, and some studies are even suggesting through skin. Uh and, you know, open wounds and in, in your might minuscule cuts you wouldn't even noticed in your hands and things. So we're just getting this real-time data. And what you understand is it's going to mean fits and starts, and it's necessarily going to mean Lots of wrong calls. yeah to get to the right ones you got to go through a lot of wrong calls.
0: And that makes a lot of sense and I sense what you're suggesting is that we take take a bit more of a sympathetic approach to the mistakes that governments are, are making right now. But as a biologist myself, some of the calls which are coming out are just quite literally in the complete opposition to the way the biology behaves. Basically, all of my biological training as a scientist at, at university, uh, at uh, the hospital on an annual basis on PPE usage doesn't seem to correlate with the suggestions for government to tell the public to behave in ways of, you know, killing their microbiome a thousand times a day or, you know, whatever arbitrary number of days they do by sterilizing their hands uh, by, you know, which which is going to lead to autoimmune disease you know, explosions in the next 5 to 10 years. Wearing masks, uh, surgical masks, one, were never made as air filters. They don't have a respirator on them, right? And and so whilst the the concept to the average sort of person makes sense that a physical barrier is going to be, you know, slow things down the reality is that the size of airborne viral particles is tiny but secondly which is more of a concern is the way in which people treat their mask in public which is not a sterile environment and you know yourself from being a scientist that behaving in a sterile way if you're not trained into it in a laboratory or in medicine it is an exceptionally unnatural practice and it is It would be argued by most medical professionals that wearing a mask is increasing your risk because most people don't know how to do it. Plus, we then go into the topic of cloth masks made at home, random materials made in random locations by random people. And so, I guess whilst we're talking about uh, giving some sympathy to our leaders in this time of, of, of confusion, it's really hard to share sympathy with those leaders when a lot of these instructions didn't make sense from day one and, and should never, in my mind, have been on the let's give this a go list.
1: Well, I agree with everything that you said. And, and you know, it's a it's a complex situation right now. If there is a downfall, it is the fact that we have allowed our leadership to be Uh, occupied by lawyers and not scientists, right? And uh, this is a, a, a difficult time for us because there's massive confusion between what is a fact and what is an unproven belief. And people are really having a hard time finding people they can go to to get the actual truth. The actual truth, as you just presented, is messy, It's very messy. And you you can't put it into a short elevator speech. And and because of that, in a world where our attention span is all of one and a half seconds, we're trying to take a very, very difficult problem, a very complex problem, and we're trying to get our arms around it in a very commercial kind of way. We want to put a Band-Aid on it. This is what we do. We, 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 we have a hard time. And, and, you know, you can understand this. Uh, I tell people, you know, that it, once a year I go and I sit down with my financial advisor. I'm a pretty smart person. You know, I, 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 I deal with scientists 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Nobel Prize winners and the, the smartest of the smartest. And they remind me every day that I'm a dumbo. Right. Because next to them, I mean, all you have to do is talk to a Nobel laureate and you go, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. But <laughs> but even given that given around all the people that I, I, I am, I have to tell you that it's it's very disconcerting to them that the whole truth is not told. And we tell people, hey, A vaccine is going to solve this, okay? Getting back to the truth, right, that uh, putting a a handscarf over your face isn't really going to do a lot (laughs) because the threat, threat, unless you got some mysterious thread count from God, you you know, the particles are going through there and, and it's going to go airborne and you're not really doing anything other than you're showing group cooperative group behavior and maybe maybe that's a thing right i don't know but right now along the lines of telling the truth in 1984 when aids broke out and you might remember this we couldn't we didn't know what aids was we knew we knew it was fatal people were going to die from it but for a while we thought if a mosquito bit you uh it, And it had prior, you know, within a few hours, bitten someone who had AIDS. You were going to get AIDS from the mosquito. So we were fumigating like crazy everywhere that was standing water. We just didn't know. And at that time, the uh, United States head of uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services said, we're putting all the pharma companies and all the scientists on an AIDS vaccine. This was 1984 and we're gonna have one within 12 months. And we see very promising results. Now, I'd like to remind everybody listening, and I hope that that this will go viral. That was 36 years ago. We do not have an AIDS vaccine. What we do have is therapeutic treatments. It is more likely, and this is where we get into the truth telling, the mask stuff, yeah, it doesn't, most of the time, it's not going to give you very much protection. Do we know, do, does the average person understand sterilization? They do not. You know, are we going to teach them that? Probably not. But what, it, what is likely to happen within the next six months is that will keep you from dying from it because that's what we're good at. We're not, we're not good at keeping you from getting something. We've never been good at that. In all the history of vaccines, we've only eliminated one disease successfully with a vaccine. I don't know why people aren't talking about that. That's smallpox. Every other disease we have vaccines for is living somewhere in some human beings around the planet. We don't have a good history of vaccine. And the fact that government officials are out there every day saying we're getting very close, we're getting very close. And here's the other thing. Even if we have better technology to get closer to a vaccine, there are at least 11 mutations of this coronavirus that we've identified. So the likelihood that a vaccine is gonna get all the mutations and how long is the vaccine gonna be good for? We don't even know if you got coronavirus, how, how long the, the immunity is for. So we're not gonna know. We don't, we don't have time to do longitudinal studies. Uh, I, I am with you. I think there's a lot of cheap, wrong information out there and it's being put out there by our government officials who don't have a background in biology and medicine, there's probably, and, and this is where I'm a kind of a big optimist, there's probably a reason, maybe to stem panic. We don't want, you know, we had people here in the United States that were knocking old ladies down for toilet paper. Same here. You know? Yeah. So you know, if you're going to go out, you can't eat toilet paper. If you're going to go knock me down to get a, a roll of toilet paper. Imagine if you need food or water. Yeah. I don't have a chance. You know, Stampede's going to roll me, roll over me. So maybe it's to create uh, a optimism to, to offset the mental health. Repercussions. Maybe they're thinking that you know, if we give shine a little light on this, it won't seem so uh, chaotic and and uh, you know and 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 scary. Uh, in my view, and and I get a lot of uh, pushback on this. Panic is a good thing. We we were designed as human beings to panic when we feel a threat it's a survival mechanism. And so this is a virus that can kill you. I don't think panic would have been a wrong reaction. To me, it would have been an appropriate reaction and is appropriate reaction. I said from the very beginning, I heard about this in early January, and I said, it's highly contagious. We don't know where it is. It is, it is amongst the normal working human population. There are planes landing from China every single day, every five minutes, all over the United States. It's. We have to assume it's here. We need to put the military out in the street and shut down for three weeks. No planes come in. No planes come out. You cannot leave your house we will deliver free food, medication, whatever you need, but we have to close it down for three weeks. Instead of this, we're partially open, you can eat outside, a scarf is okay as a mask, a vaccine is on its way, we'll probably have it by the end of the year, even though we've got a terrible, empirically demonstrable history with vaccines. I don't know what they're talking about. You know what I I if I were a politician, this is what I would say. I would say, we're make we're doing everything we can to get a vaccine. It's a bad bet. Based on history, we may we may not get there, but we're gonna try. We're gonna try. But here's what we're good at. We're good at keeping you from dying. We can't keep you from getting cancer. We can't keep you from getting AIDS. We can't keep you from getting a lot of diseases. But you know what? You don't have to die of AIDS anymore. Right. Right. Because we. Yeah. And, and you're not going to die of COVID. And when we get to a point where when you have a home test, because I think there's going to be a home test before the end of the year. And I'm working with a lot of pharma companies. and I can tell you it's on its way. It'll be a pregnancy type of test that you could take pretty much every day and see if you have it. So let's say you test positive. You go to your doctor, your doctor says, yep, I'm going to test you again. He tests you in his office and then he writes you a prescription. You go down and you take some medicine, you feel crappy for a day and then you're good. You're good to go. That's what's going to happen. We're going to treat it. And we're already getting better at treating because we've got some clues based on how remdesivir and and steroids are behaving and helping to uh, uh, limit the damage. We've gotten some really, really good clues on how to disarm the virus, but that doesn't mean you won't catch it. And as you point out, we this thing has a long tail. You pointed that out and you're you're really right. This coronavirus has a long tail and we don't know what it is. There may be brain damage. We're seeing that there's lung damage that may be permanent and you may never come back from. We don't know what the other da- long-term damages are. Those are going to have to sort themselves out when we get out of the immediate danger zone.
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and there's so many amazing things that you just said in that. And I made a few notes. I've got to pick. i got to pick a rabbit hole to go down. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the, in the beginning, you mentioned cooperative group behavior, and I think the thing that people, especially here in Australia and particularly in the state of Victoria and Melbourne that I'm in right now, that arguably the response by government is is now under a communist type response it's now a $5000 fine to leave your house it's you know $1600 fine if you don't wear a mask and the reason that that's such a problem is because there's nowhere that there's a pile of bodies because Of all the contradictions that you suggested, this, you know, you can half go outside, you can meet at the supermarket, you can go for walks. The confusing thing is for everybody, and the reason this is such a contentious issue is because all of those contradictions in the rulings by governments don't lead to a pile of bodies. And yes, dead people, uh, you know, COVID is a real thing, people die from it. But it's it, like we're humans; we all die, we all get sick. And in Australia, at least, the numbers are extremely low. Ext- we've only had 200, 210 deaths, uh, most of which are in the eighty to ninety range, and none. And most of those are in nursing homes, and not at Woolworths, or the, the sorry, the local supermarket. Yeah. They're not at Amazon fulf- fulfillment centers. They're not in these places, and I think that the cooperative group behavior appears to be some type of communist government agenda because it doesn't make sense even to the, the lay individual that why are we doing this and there's so many people now that are reaching out and uh, to me and to family and to medical professionals and saying, this doesn't make any sense because I don't know anyone that's got it. I don't know anyone that died from it. The numbers are tiny on the te- television and they say, One more death. Oh, my God, one more death. And they leverage the emotions of the public around one death when hundreds of thousands of people die of all sorts of diseases. Governments could be pouring their money into diabetes, which is easily solvable in 90% of cases. And so it's just so, so confusing that the contradictions from the instructions that we get from government don't lead to grave outcomes because most people need the news to tell them there is a pandemic. They don't know that there's a pandemic at all because they can't see it where we had the Australian wildfires which was a state of disaster at the start of the year. You can go and see and touch and feel the damage, the devastation that happened. Here, you need to get an update on your phone to let you know that there's a problem with the world. So, it's I'm wondering what your thoughts are, you just, you know, just as a talking point on the contradictions that governments are giving, not just in Australia but in multiple countries, the contradictive suggestions that don't lead to these grave biological outcomes.
1: I, I I understand it's confusing. And, and, of course, the government, we could make the argument that the government should be more focused on the damage wildfires do or uh, on the pandemic of diabetes. Why not, you know, focus on the pandemic of depression and suicide? Suicides globally are up 35 percent. So why don't why don't we channel resources in there? I, I do understand that. And I do understand how people feel that the government is overreaching particularly in free societies where where free uh, the value of freedom is right up there right with with enjoyment and happiness and and self-efficacy uh and i do understand that but in in my view the thing that you can't prove is what you prevented this this is this is always the case right It's a really weak argument to say, I did this because if I hadn't done it, this would have happened because this didn't happen.
0: So you have no evidence for it.
1: Right. right. So it's always weak and politicians always back off because of that, because you can't prove what didn't happen was going to happen. And so this overreaction that they're having, I would argue Will, they will be punished for it. They will be punished for it. Yeah. But from my standpoint, as a biologist and as a scientist, I would rather see governments overreact than underreact because they have a tremendous history of underreacting. And the one time they overreact, I'm not going for their throat. <laughs> I'm not going for their throat because they didn't overreact on climate change and they didn't overreact on those fires and they didn't overreact on diabetes and they didn't overreact on suicide and depression. And look where we are today. We're trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. They didn't overreact on social media. They should have been having these conversations about censorship 15 years ago and they didn't do anything. And now they're trying to rein it all in. So. The one time they overreact, or should we go after them? Uh, you know what? I, I I might sound like I'm an agent of the government. Believe me, I'm apolitical. I'm, 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 I'm completely apolitical. The one time they get out there and they do something definitive and they say, all right, you're in lo- lockdown number two. In my view, they didn't go far enough. They were timid. They should have gone further and harder on that first lockdown. There would have been no second lockdown, no third lockdowns, no fourth lockdowns. It's that they've got one foot in both worlds. They've got one foot in, I got to appease my voters. I got to keep the economy open. We can't completely shut it down forever. And then the other side, right, which is if I don't react, and I try to get this thing under control later, you wind up like the United States. Yeah. The United States has said lockdown, not lockdown. Groups of 10, groups of 20. No, back down to groups of three. No, you gotta stay in your house. No, you can come out now and go out in your yard. It's a it's a mess. It's a mess. They're 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 trying to walk some line that doesn't exist. You either overreact. Or you underreact. You can't react appropriately because there's not enough real-time data and it's a novel situation. I always tell people this all the time. They go, you're always early to a meeting. And I said, yes, because I have not mastered the ability to walk in as the second hand is hitting 12. I, I, it's always a few seconds before and a few seconds after. I, I, I don't hit the door handle or, or get on the Zoom call right as the second hand hits 12. I'm not able to do that. I, it's a false choice. On time doesn't exist. The choice you have, and by the way, this is for everybody who lives with somebody who's chronically late. <laughs> the choice you have, the only choice you have is early or late. You ain't going to make it on time. And this is the same situation. There's no middle road where we tame this virus and we make all the right calls. So the one time they overreact, I say, you know, you got to cut those government officials a break and be happy they did something and, and are not letting it go on and on and on. Here in the U.S., we're just completely out of control right now.
0: The link is in the show notes below. Uh, And it's exactly the same here in Australia. And I put that down to us just following our allies or our biggest ally in the US. Yeah, don't
1: follow us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what's happening here. Go
1: your own way. Don't follow what the US is doing. (laughs) U.S. is a bad poster child right
0: now. Well, absolutely. And so is Australia, like we're equally as bad because we had the same thing, small gatherings. And and I was very much on board with this in the first lockdown. I filmed some videos on social media explaining antiviral foods, explaining antiviral behavior and all this type of stuff. Um, but again, it, it, I come back to the numbers in, in that these contradictions haven't led to devastating biological outcomes. So now it becomes really confusing because if those contradictions were actual, like if this virus was actually as deadly as we're being told, those contradictions would have led to a huge pileup.
1: There are a lot of people who have very mild symptoms. By the way, every person in my family has contracted COVID, Mm-hmm. Right. Every person, my brother, my nephews, my sister in law, my children, you know, that are adult children, they've all contracted COVID. The only symptoms any of them had was a runny nose, loss of smell, and loss of taste. Yep. None of them had any other symptoms, right? But we did the right thing. Every time somebody contracted it, they stayed home for two weeks right? They contacted everybody that they came in contact with during a period of time. They did all the right things anyways. Now you could say that that's similar to what the, what, what we're, you know, complaining about the government's doing. Why do all that stuff? When you had such mild symptoms, you can assume other people do because we do know, you know, again, what we know is a very, very small amount. And what we don't know is, is, is the universe. But what we do know is if you have an underlying condition that you know or don't know about, you're very vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And if you're old, that is an underlying condition. (laughs) (laughs) I have to keep reminding my own adult children. They go, you're healthy, mom. You hike 10 miles every day. You know, you're not on any medications. You're totally healthy, mom. I'm 65 years old. I look at them and I go, that's an underlying condition. (laughs) 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 So look, yes, you got a choice to overreact or underreact. I say overreact for a very short amount of time, do it right, and protect people that are vulnerable because of age, because of underlying health conditions. And and also because of genetics, we're finding now uh, how T cells react. Certain T cells are are uh, providing some immunity. We're finding that certain blood types seem to you know provide some immunity. So we're you know again, this is real time data that's coming in. We're finding that there's sort of some genetic basis too, uh, not just your healthy lifestyle. And we all know that immunity largely is not just about the the preservation of the bacteria in your microbiome, but also your genetic predisposition, your age, your lifestyle, your, nutri, uh, your, your uh, nu, uh, nutrition that you take, uh, and the the rate at which you metabolize that nutrition. Right. So we're we're finding out a lot of clues as to you know who who might be a candidate to die. And who might just lose their sense of smell and taste and have the sniffles for a day. We're getting smart about this virus. And that's why I believe we'll have treatments, whether it's convalescent therapies or remdesivir or other kinds of steroids. We're going to have some kind of treatment that will keep you from dying unless you're already at death's door. We'll keep you from dying, but we're not going to be able to keep people from getting it. And certainly not the other lineages that have mutated
0: yeah and I guess as well the interesting thing is that a lot of the people that are proving to be susceptible to this, and there was this period of time where a lot of people were talking about obesity and type 2 diabetes due to the um, you know the particular receptors on cells that the people that have more fat cells have is that a lot of the pre-existing conditions, whether it be age, uh, they often impair the immune system in a way that makes you susceptible to all sorts of things, and 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 including age as well. And uh, and I guess that's a, another point that keeps being raised by, uh, you know, the the opposition. Let's say is that. That, that's the consequence of living a life of convenience is that you impair your body that is not optimal for survival. And that's an unfortunate reality of living an unhealthy life. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I take a very evolutionary biologist approach to that comment. You know, I still am full of love and, and want every, everyone to yeah. live. <laughs>
1: It's pretty Darwinian.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I want the best for everyone. That's why I run a, a health business. Right? Is I want everyone to live the best life, the longest life that they can, and that really does come from the way that you feed your body, fuel your body, um, and you know, sleep and all that type of stuff. And so, I, I guess what I'm saying is that in a world where we're predominantly fat, sick, and nearly dead. It's not surprising that a virus has come along that targets people that have weakened bodies. And um, unfortunately, that is a consequence of living a life of convenience.
1: It is. And there's a kind of a weird social juxtaposing that's going on right now about people saying that, you know, and I I appreciate that the, uh, I don't know, the self-esteem that obese people are discovering in saying, don't fat shame me, you know, and there, and we're now seeing obese models in, you know, in bikinis and on runways and, and, you know, people are basically saying that it's a form of discrimination and that so much of it's driven by genetics. So, you know, don't, don't shame me for my, my body image. Um, but I, I think that's a, a real dangerous road to go down. I, 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 I really, really do, because it, it's, this, is not, um, this is not a situation that you want to accept. You don't want to accept obesity. Obesity is a health condition, and it is a huge sign of malnourishment, Which you you don't associate, you'd say that person's not malnourished, they're the opposite. Oh no, oh no, they're not getting the right kind of nourishment. And a lot of that is driving that obesity. So we have to be very, very careful as a society, as we make everything acceptable. Do we want to make vulnerable health conditions that, you know, make you vulnerable to die at a younger age, when a virus like this, we do we want to make that acceptable? I would argue no. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree completely. I, I
1: don't want that to be acceptable. There's a, you know, I'm sorry about fat shaming, but if fat shaming will save some lives, good, good.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's the point that I'm getting at is that this life of convenience that the Western world, or the, the entire world really has has evolved into in 2020 with you know horrible foods, you know everything in a bag a box or a can, and sugar addiction and all of these types of things that weakens the human race, like quite literally weakens the human race because you know maybe 50 to 100 years ago the coronavirus appeared, it, it wouldn't have been half of what it is based on the fact that we've got such depleted microbiomes, we've got such depleted um, stress, you know, uh, s- sorry, sleep regimes. People haven't slept properly for decades, you know, and and all of these things. So I guess the point that I share with you, uh, and I share that perspective, is that accepting some something, something that's unhealthy, size irrelevant, like fat irrelevant. Healthy, I think, is the word. Um, to be unhealthy and be a role model for being, purposely for being in an unhealthy state, is absolutely going to lead a, a particular group of people to an even worse outcome because they will feel accepted, they will feel like they can be who they are and they can blame genetics and, and you know as a biologist so many people incorrectly blame their genetics based on you know the media's version of explaining how genetics work and, and, and I, I totally agree and I guess the other thing that I wanted to get into as well um, was that you mentioned earlier, you mentioned that the governments, you know, keep talking about vaccines uh, and the fact that we have a terrible history. And I, I actually worked in vaccine formulation a number of years ago as well. So I'm quite familiar with the terrible history of vaccines. Uh, but do you think governments keep saying this sentence just to make everyone feel better?
1: I don't know. I I, I really don't know why. And I don't know why Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci and everyone are laying out this false hope. It, it must be a strategy of some sort. It must be a PR strategy of, uh, because, and and I'm not saying they're not making progress, right? That, uh, because there's evidence that they are making progress, but to hold that out as there's going to be a, a cure, we're all going to get vaccinated and, and, you know, and then we're all done with coronavirus. I, there just there isn't any empirical history here that that could be the case. And and you, uh, having worked on vaccines, know this so much. I am not a vaccine specialist, but I know more about vaccines than I've ever known <laughs> before because I follow the work <laughs> of the Human Vaccines Project. We don't really completely know how vaccines work. I mean, we don't understand the human immune system as well as everybody thinks we do. <laughs> and, and, and i and I think that what's wonderful about the human vaccine project is that they're trying to break down the immune system, the way that we broke down the human uh, genome. You know, we want we need to understand what the elements are. even when we start to talk about the microbiome, what's a balanced microbiome? Do we know?
0: <laughs> right?
1: Do we know? You know, I, I, I mean, nobody seems to know that we, we know we know if you took a lot of antibiotics, you probably killed off a whole lot of biologics that you need. Right. To have a healthy life. Uh, but, you know, I drink a bunch of probiotics and and prebiotics and all of this stuff. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking them to take them. I don't know if I need them. I don't know if they're good for me. I think they're good for me, but you know, I, I'll tell you an interesting uh, an interesting story. This is a little side story. I had I had to go in for a medical checkup, and and I I found this stunning for me. Uh, so they came in and they you know they had a, a chart and they said are you know are you uh, taking any painkillers? Are you on cholesterol medication? Are you on and they started. They went down a two-page list, as they do on a medical checkup. And I said no. And the doctor <laughs> took the clipboard down and he said, "So you're telling me you're not taking any medication?" And I, and I, I looked at him and I said, uh, "That no, I'm not." And I said, "If but," and my answer was this: I said, "But if it makes you feel any better, it won't last forever." I mean, one of these days I'll come in and I'll be on something, but just not right now. (laughs) But when I left there, what I found particularly disturbing, and this is all about these underlying conditions and and killing off what's in your microbiome through pharmaceuticals and, you know, and, and other things. What I found particularly disturbing is that it is rare today in the United States to find a 65-year-old that isn't taking anything? How did that happen?
0: It's a great question.
1: How did this happen in one generation? My parents didn't take anything. My grandparents weren't on anything. They lived normal, healthy lives. And they expired at, at... you know, they weren't, they didn't live to be 120, but they died in their 80s and 90s. They lived normal, healthy lives. I don't know how, in one generation, it became so unusual for a 65 year old not to be taking anything that a doctor would put his clipboard down and say, So you're telling me you're not taking anything? And give me that evil eye. And I said, Well, Occasionally, if, if the hike's too long, I will pop an Advil. And I said, you feel better? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I don't know what's happened to us. We don't, we don't seem to know how to just live uh, the natural life that we were designed to live.
0: Yeah, and I, I think there's a, a, a relatively explainable uh, answer for that. And I think it's the the growth of the marketing and advertising industry and understanding on, you know, they spend millions of dollars on food research. I had a food psychologist on the podcast who used to be uh, in the 80s and 90s. He was a um, an, sort of an advisor to major sugar companies about how to manipulate their marketing so that it, it hit the evolutionary brain and he, he became obese. Himself, you know, came out of that and now runs a, a, a company that helps people get off sugar. But I think the, the boom of the sugar industry, along with marketing and advertising, but as well the boom of big pharma, the big pharma markets, especially in the US. I, I remember going to the US and being shocked, billboards about drugs. Like, this is insane. And 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 they sell drugs in the US as if their lollies, as if they're sugar products and as soon as they can get you onto the onto the system or into the system and, and plug you up with any number of, of, of pills, uh, they seem to take advantage of that and I think that's why it's become so rapid is the progression of technology to one, research the functioning of the brain and therefore fill people up with super unhealthy diets and then how convenient on the other side of that is Big Pharma with all the, all the answers. It's
1: disease, right? Yeah. I mean, you make yourself vulnerable. Y- you do this to yourself. Genetics is part of it, but probably when you're much older, genetics is going to play a more uh, a more important role. But in all likelihood, you've done this to yourself. You create that vulnerability for a virus. You create the opening for diabetes. You create the opening for heart conditions. You create those openings. This is something you have control over for the most part. Yes. And and I think that when a coronavirus shows up, the missing component here is this feeling like we lost control. Yeah. We can't do anything about it. People are out there and they're going to give it to me and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, the thing you can do about coronavirus and everything else, every other disease, is to take care of yourself. Exactly. Own that responsibility. Build up the human immune system. Many times I have to tell people it is very, very rare, very rare that a virus will jump from an animal to a human. Fortunately for us, that's not how nature designed it. We have a very hardy immune system, and it rarely happens. But even more rare, much rare, is if that virus does jump uh, from a, an animal to a human, that it can transfer from a human to a human without that animal intermediary. Yeah, That's even more rare. So we, our immune systems are phenomenal when you think about how rare those occasions are that we could go human to human transmit an animal virus. It doesn't happen all the time, thankfully, or we would have been wiped out. So that's how robust our our immune systems are, and that is something we can take care of. We're not just sitting here waiting for the next virus to wipe us out. Yeah, you know, I. I- that mentality is wrong. You've got to take control of your own health and know that the best thing you can do is have a hearty immune system so that the likelihood, by the way, even at 65, for me, if I do contract the virus, I'm not a good candidate to die. I may get very sick. And you may run this after I've expired <laughs> and say she was wrong. <laughs> but, but I, but I've been taking care of my immune system, even though it is compromised just strictly by age.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I guess as well for the listeners, like it's never too late to turn your the health of your body and your immune system around. And it really is, it really is nutrition. So eat some animals, eat some, eat some plants. That's literally what is whole, real foods. Get eight eight hours sleep every night, and find a, a stress management tool. And and that is the that is the basic fundamental equation to building a strong immune system. And then the next layers would be, you know, positive relationships, potentially spirituality and things like that. But it's so easy to turn that ship around.
1: And very important that people move. Yes. Your body was designed for locomotion. Absolutely. It was designed for locomotion. Get out there, walk. You know, if you find... That you're like with me, there's nothing in my body that wants to exercise. They have never invented an exercise I like. (laughs) I I have paid, I have paid very expensive coaches, and uh, you know what? I just, I just pay the fine and don't show up. There's, there's nothing that can motivate me to exercise except for one thing, one thing, a dog, (laughs) a dog.
0: That's some good incentive.
1: I have to. I have a I have a one year old Labrador. Yep. And if I don't exercise him, he's going to eat every piece of furniture in my house. Yep. So I have to I have to get out on the hiking trails, and we got to get out on the lakes and throw the ball, let him swim, and in that process, I'm naturally and organically getting all of the exercise that I need. So if you're like me and you just hate exercise and you you're not going to do it, get a dog, get a puppy.
0: Find something to incentivize you, do
1: <laughs> kids. Kindle. You, you know, you you put on weight after your kids leave the house. <laughs>
0: Oh no doubt. <laughs> um, I want to ask too, knowing that many of the listeners on uh, of this show have been hit hard by reduction in employment or total job loss, um, as well the government payout that, that that they're giving everyone has now been reduced and is going to be really challenging for people to live on. And and a report came out in the last uh, sort of week or two here in Australia that fifty five percent of mortgage holders, which is about half a trillion dollars worth of mortgage, uh, are going to default on their loans in the next. Three three to six months. So in, in, in the context of an economic perspective, what's the best thing that you think people can do right now to weather the storm or adapt to the circumstance before we're given the freedom to get out of this?
1: Well, that's, that brings up a whole, a whole different can of worms. And, and we have to understand that, uh, you know, longitudinal studies spanning 75 and 80 years have been done on human happiness and well-being, right? Our ability to thrive. And somewhere around 60 to, I'm going to say about 60%, let's say, uh, of your ability, capability to be happy and optimistic is actually genetically driven. We know this by looking at uh, identical twins that were separated at birth over 75 years, you know, good things happen to them. They win the lottery, bad things happen to them. You know, they they get a disease, whatever. But they always return to a similar baseline, if you will. So you kind yeah. of, you, you think about your happiness and your mental health as this baseline. And wonderful things happen to you and you habituate back to your baseline and terrible things happen and you habituate to your baseline. And you find that optimistic people, even in the, uh, the face of tragedy, wind up finding a way to be optimistic again, and so on and so forth. But there are a few things that Nobel-winning economists have proven. This is not up for debate. These are just uh, these are airtight studies. There are a few things we have proven will lower your baseline forevermore you will never be as happy as you were before those things occurred. Mm-hmm. And one of them is involuntary unemployment. Right. Involuntary unemployment for any period of time, you will never be as happy as you were before the period of involuntary unemployment. This, is, this is lowers that, that, that baseline to a point where it never comes back, ever, ever. So this is a sentence for many people who have lost their jobs. If this goes on too long, this is a sentence for unhappiness for the rest of their lives. I'm not saying they won't have happy moments, but when they come back down, they will not be at the baseline level prior to that. This is why I think the government is trying to do it, because these studies are really scary. They're so accurate and so true, and uh, you never have, you never rehabituate to it. So my word...
0: And the generational effect would be huge as well, the passing on of that, uh, you know, the family culture in which that person is affected, passes that on to their children, which passes that perspective of reality on to the next generation, and it would be damaging for generations.
1: Yes, yes, and we don't know all of that data yet. That's why I was saying coronavirus has a long tail. Yeah, we don't know the long tail yet. Uh, and, and and but I worry because I look at I'm a data scientist. I'm looking just at the empirical data, and I I believe that. And, and it doesn't matter, by the way, if the government gives you money. It doesn't matter if you have means. We were designed a beast of burden. We were designed a working. Organism. To
0: have purpose,
1: and when we can't work, yeah, when we can't work, it 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 has a a uh, lasting effect on us. So it's very very important. This is why I'm a very big advocate of public works programs. The government must be driven by data, mm-hmm. not by opinion and not by politics. If you know that that is the overall long lasting effect of unemployment. You must immediately don't forget about sending people money. That doesn't do anything. What you need to do is open up public works programs immediately where people can get their same salary and begin doing things, working on roads, bridges, right? Painting schools, whatever. Don't care what they are, but it has to be work tied to the income. Yeah, that that is much more uh, of an intelligent approach. And it is using the data properly.
0: Yeah.
1: It's an outlay of money, but you get something for it. So, you know, if somebody says, well, I don't know how to use a computer. Fine. Here's a paintbrush. We got to paint the school. Right. And somebody else might be a plumber. Someone might be an electrician. Some woman might be really good at social media and do, can do a newsletter for children or an online class. You know, you've got to give people work to do. Uh, otherwise you 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 do suffer the long-term consequences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that and I appreciate you being on the show today. I've really loved our conversation and I'm really grateful for your time.
1: I have really enjoyed talking to you today and I hope we did some good in the
0: world. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, and where as well, where can everybody find you online and your books?
1: They can catch me at www.rebeccacosta.com. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-C-O-S-T-A.com.
0: Wonderful, thank you. And I'll put all of your um, handles and information and and that link in the show notes below. And for any of the listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode or you got anything out of it and you want to share it with a family or friend or social media, just take a screenshot, share it on, tag us in the uh, story on whichever social media platform that you jump on and we will be able to see who's joining in on the conversation, which will be amazing. And so, Rebecca, just to wrap up, I've got one more question, which is what is one piece of health information that you think, is most pertinent in this time that more people should be focusing on?
1: I would say know that your own immune system is the best medicine. That's, that's, and, and that is something you have control over. So don't sit back and say, well, some virus or some disease is going to get me. It doesn't have to get you. I'm living proof. <laughs> you know, I, I'm the person who the doctor put the clipboard down on and said, so you're telling me you're not on anything. And and I, you know, listen, if I want a cookie, I have a cookie, right? I, I, I don't deny myself anything. I just don't overindulge. And I live a very moderate lifestyle. So, you know, I'd say keep stress out of your life. Know that you are, you are the captain of your own immune system and you are in control of it.
0: I think that is a superb message. Your immune system is the best medicine. And and as you're suggesting, we can power that with good nutrition, good stress management, good sleep and movement.
1: Absolutely.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much, Rebecca. I've loved hanging out. Hopefully we can do it again soon. And I hope that you have a great day.
1: You too. Stay well and safe.
0: Thanks. See you later.